of the Columbia University Sports Podcast, The Cusp Show, where we talk about the business of sports, entertainment, media, and other things. Uh, I'm Joe Favorito. Once again, going solo is my co-host Tom Richardson, still on vacation out there, although he texted me this morning and swore he was going to be back next week. So uh, one more time by myself. Uh, and we've talked to a, people from all different kinds of areas, working with teams and leagues, uh, but we've never really talked to someone who has touched both on the sports and entertainment side in a really, really unique way from when he was 14 years old. Our guest today is Yankee Special Assistant Ray Negron. Ray, welcome to the Cusp Show. So excited to be here. Well, number one, because this, this is the home of Lou Gehrig. Yep. And I'm a gigantic Lou Gehrig fan. Uh, Lou Gehrig was the reason I fell in love with the Yankees when I saw the movie The Pride of the Yankees. And you saw Lou Gehrig hitting the home run or in batting practice, hitting the ball through the windows here in Columbia. So mm -hmm. come on, I'm, I'm, I'm thrilled to death to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Great. Um, we're going to get into Ray's career, which we could take four hours to do in the places, but it's really all been in the Bronx at Yankee Stadium. Uh, I think the most interesting thing to do, Ray, is just kind of tell them how it started with spray paint on a wall and becoming a bat boy in 1974, correct? 1973, outside Yankee Stadium. The stadium is going to be knocked down at the end of the year. I'm there with a couple of, uh, with three other people. They tell me, go ahead, do it, go ahead, do it, go ahead, do it. So I finally do it. I spray paint an NY on the uh, old Yankee Stadium wall. And as I'm finishing up the Y, all of a sudden one of the guys says, look out, everybody starts to run. I run, I trip, I'm caught, and I'm put in a holding cell at the old stadium. And they're getting ready to send me over to the 44th precinct. But the guy, all of a sudden, that put me in the cell said, give me the kid. And next thing you know, they're grabbing me by the collar and they're taking me to the Yankee locker room. Pete Sheehy, the historic clubhouse man, opens the door. And uh, the man says, give him a uniform. He's got damages. He's going to work off. And that night, I was the bat boy for the New York Yankees. And the man that caught me was the great George Steinbrenner. So did you have any idea? I mean, you thought you were going to, to jail. You had no idea because, you know, you grew up in the Bronx. Uh, and there's a story right about the, the other kids who were with you, none of whom fared very well in their lives after that. But did you have any idea at that point that the boss was going to take you under his wing and lead you on this pretty amazing 40-year journey? I thought that, in essence, like a lot of people in my family, that I was getting ready to go to Rikers Island, and uh, the parallel of life was going to begin right there. No, I never mm -hmm. dreamed that this crazy, mysterious, magical mystery tour of mine, which still continues, mm -hmm. was ever going to happen. So 1974 was a time not long after George Steinbrenner bought the Yankees. Um, the rebuild had started. There were a lot of down, down years with the Yankees in the 60s and the early 70s. Um, and you were there kind of as Bat Boy to ride the, the wave of free agency and a role that kind of emerged in addition to being just a Bat Boy uh, in the Yankees' glory days of the 70s actually evolved into a job where you've never left Yankee Stadium. So how did it go, and what were some of the early experiences and the players that embraced you, and what did you learn to actually make that into your career now working for the Yankees? 74 became the season where we were the band on the run, a little take from the Paul McCartney song. Mm -hmm. And every time a guy hit a home run that year at Shea Stadium, they would play the band on right, the run. And people may not know that, that 74 and 75, the Yankees actually played at Shea Stadium. We were at Shea Stadium, right. and uh, 
Thurman Munson uh, was a mentor. Ron Bloomberg was a big brother. Um, Walt Nonek Williams <coughs> was just a, a, another brother to me. Lou Pinella was my personal hitting instructor. Sandy Alomar was my defensive coach. And they all took me like a, this little, you know, like Steinbrenner said, he's one of us, take care of him. And they took care of me to the point where, as in 1975, I got drafted in the second round by the Pittsburgh Pirates. And when I proved to America that I couldn't hit, and Steinbrenner found <laughs> out, he brought me back to the Yankees. Mm -hmm. And I was, in, I just, he said, just work in the clubhouse, do whatever we need. You're a bat boy. You're a clubby. We, you're, you're our video guy. You do whatever we need. And and half the time I was uh, always with the boss and getting his coffee and cleaning his car and babysitting his son, who would become the the, the king of the Yankees. Hank. Hal actually. Hal was okay. Yeah, Hank was always mm -hmm. away in school, mm -hmm. but Hal was like eight years old, mm -hmm. and from eight on on, I and I. I baby. Well, what happened was the boss saw me babysitting Barry Bonds mm -hmm. in 1975. When I, at the end of the season, I came back. I would be with the Yankees, and I would be babysitting Barry Bonds, Sandy Alomar Jr., and Robbie Alomar. And the boss saw this and said, "You're going to take care of my son. The hell with them." Mm -hmm. Okay. <laughs> and uh, so every year I would be with Hal during spring training. It was my main job was to watch over Hal, mm -hmm. and uh, among other things. Mm -hmm. So you were there for, obviously, the glory days of the 70s, evolved into the 80s, the changes, new stadium, um, really kind of the evolution of the Latino player, too, which played a, a big part of your job and still does today with helping the, the Latino players adjust to, to life in the major leagues. Um, as, as that kind of played out with, with those teams, with Reggie Jackson and Catfish Hunter and... and eventually Ron Guidry and, and some of the other guys you mentioned, which mentored later on, Daryl Strawberry and Dwight Gooden. How has the, the business side of baseball changed from the obvious, the money, but um, is it still kind of the, the family feel, uh, especially, and, and the traditions of the Yankees have pretty much stayed intact. So how have you been able to kind of see that evolve from 1975 to 2018? The moment that... George Steinbrenner stepped into that stadium. He decided, um, I, a perfect example, he, he, he was the first guy to start an equipment, a uh, uh, workout facility inside mm -hmm. a, a stadium. Mm -hmm. Okay, he was the first. At the old, at the, at the old, old Yankee, Yankee Stadium, stadium. Yeah. he took a storage mm -hmm. room and he made it a workout facility. Mm -hmm. He brought in equipment that he used to use in football and had it in baseball. Or everything that he learned in football, he brought into baseball. Mm -hmm. uh, or everything that he learned in track and field, he brought into baseball. Uh, things that he had from American shipbuilding, he brought into baseball. Uh, things from the standpoint of uh, all the statistical scenarios and all that kind of stuff, he brought in. He brought all these things in. He revolutionized baseball. He revolutionized the business side of baseball, but never got credit for it. I saw it. I saw what he did. I saw when he was doing all these things. We went from the aspect of, uh, what, 60 people working for the New York Yankees to how many hundreds of people work for the Yankees, both in New York and in Tampa. Uh, I mean, and that it, the teams were coming to New York, and the players would go, one, the, a Yankee player would say to a, a visiting player, 
yeah, I'm going into the gym to work out. Gym? What, you leave the ballpark? No, we have a gym right in the park. Hmm. And they, next thing you know, George Brett is walking in and saying, what the? And so he's going to Kaufman. Hey, we have to have this because Yankees have that. And then, I mean, that's how it went. Doggy see, doggy do. Mm-hmm. And, and, it, and, and it was just incredible how it would happen. Well, I'll tell you another thing that happened. When I got released by the Pirates, Sandy Alomar t- actually told Billy Martin, who told George, Ray got released. George says, get him over here. They bring me over. Steinbrenner uh, says, "Billy, what do you want to do with him? We'll have him. Th- we'll have him. Listen, he was a pro player. We'll have him throw batting practice. Well, you know what I'm doing? I'm hitting Lou Pinnell in the shoulder. I'm hitting uh, mm-hmm. Willie Randolph in the ass, and I'm hitting this other guy. I'm hitting Oscar Gamble. And next thing you know, they're all. One day, I hit Rick Dempsey, and Dempsey was wild and crazy. He threw the bat at me." As he's throwing the bat at me, Billy's walking out, and he's saying... This is Billy Martin. This is Billy Martin. Mm-hmm. And he's saying... Uh, Dempsey runs over to him and says, Get this guy out of here. He can't throw an effing strike. I'm sick of it. Nobody else is complaining, but I got to tell you, you got to get him off because he's throwing off my timing. And I'm, oh, I, I'm hearing all this, and I'm like shaking, shaking. The next day, when I walk into the clubhouse, I start putting on my uniform. As I'm putting on my uniform, Pete Sheehy says, slow down. Billy wants to see you in the office. When I go in the office, him and Steinbrenner are, uh, are sitting right there. And they go, come on in here, young man. Hmm. And when I walk in, Steinbrenner goes, Jesus Christ. You got one of our players in an uproar. I don't know what to do. I mean, I've been talking to Billy, and uh, we don't know what to do. And so I turn around to walk out like, okay. Hmm. I, I know when I'm not wanted. And Billy goes, stop, wait a minute, come back in here. And he goes, see these boxes over there? He says, yeah. And then Steinbrenner goes, it's video equipment. You're going to learn it, and then you're going to use it. Wow. And we were the first team to have our own video stuff. And my job was to take videos of the guys in batting practice and in the games and take the pictures. And then when they're going bad, show it to them. When they're going good, show it to them. You know what I'm saying? We were the first to have it in our clubhouse, video stuff. And now it's like the biggest thing. It's amazing how people don't think of the Yankees and George Steinbrenner as first adopters, but from the business side, it sounds like there were many, many areas that George probably didn't get credit for. And it's interesting that um, the other thing that that people talked about, and we had Bill Squires on a previous podcast, who you know, when he Mm -hmm. worked at the Yankees, and he had a similar story about George taking him under his wing. He said people never remember that George Steinbrenner always put the fan first. People always thought it was about his spending and his mercurial things where he'd fire secretaries because of the wrong sandwiches, but it was always because the fan came first. Did you ever find that too, Ray? I mean, is that true? Billy Martin is having a fight with the boss. This was 78. I don't know what it was about. I can't remember. Well, I only remember that me and Goose are at the door. Goose Gossage. At the the manager's Mm -hmm. office. And so we're, we're at the door like this, listening. And, and the players are saying, what did he say? He called him a effing effing. Mm-hmm. And what did he say? And next thing you know, Steinbrenner opens the door, and me and Goose fall down. Mm-hmm. Okay? And Steinbrenner's just looking at us. What the hell are you guys doing? And he goes, Negron, take a walk with me. And we leave. He goes, he's just he's seething, seething, seething. Yeah, he, he, you know, you can't physically beat up Billy Martin, nor could you. Mm-hmm. You know, and so we go, we go outside. Remember the old stadium? You have to go across the street to go mm-hmm. into the parking lot. Right. He takes me across the street. He gets, as we're getting into the car, he tells the driver, sit in the back. 
and we're driving, and we're driving through the Bronx. He just wanted to breathe. He wanted to get away from the, what do you call it? But he's driving into the South Bronx. Mm. And so as we're driving around the Bronx, he goes, Jesus Christ, can you believe people live this way? We're really, boy, Ray, we're really lucky. Mm. And I said, boss, I go home to this every day. Mm. And that was like, oh my God. And next thing you know, we're driving around, he stops, he gets out of the car, he's talking to the people. Hey, so what do you think is wrong with the Yankees? What do you think is right with the Yankees? What do you think they are? You know, and he was getting, what do you call it? And then he's pulling out a $50 bill. I remember one family, he pulled out the $50 bill, he gave it to them, they were, and, the, and the man who had a lot of pride. And he said, no, excuse me, sir, a Spanish guy. Excuse me, sir, I don't need that. I don't need your money, sir. And, and, and Steinbrenner goes, excuse me, sir. I'm paying you for a service that you just gave me. I asked you for some advice. I give all of my advisors, I pay them. So I'm paying you for the advice you just gave me. You gave me some advice on the team. Here's, here's your reward for, pay, for giving me the proper advice. Thank you very much. And the guy was really, at that point, he was very grateful. And I, I was really touched. I mean, I was moved by the aspect of what I saw. And the boys would do do stuff like this. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? That's he who always, he was. He was always known for, for being the fan, and, you know, he got, obviously, with all the, the issues that happened off the field with uh, the Dave Winfield situation and, and the gambling things, you know, he was removed, which was really kind of the, the downside of the Yankees, and then when he came back, you know, and you were through, the, through all of that, um, you know, the, the imprint that George Steinbrenner left, obviously, on the Yankees and the city will never be forgotten. But, um, so you talk about the fan and the first adopters and the way he was with the fans. So you move forward and your, your role continues to adopt and, and change. And we want to talk a little bit about all the theatrical things that you've done and how you were able to assimilate your experiences and tell that story. But um, so you, you move on in the Yankees, obviously, when Steinbrenner comes back, um, start to once again start to win again. And they brought in players like Dwight Gooden and Daryl Strawberry, who you've become very close to. Um, how did that business part of your job change over the years when you got into your 30s and your 40s um, around the Yankees as, as the team evolved? You know, uh, he had an interest in Dwight Gooden, mm -hmm. okay? Um, everybody was telling the boss, don't, don't get involved with this guy. This guy has too many problems. His demons are too deep, and he'll never be able to help you and all this kind of stuff. The boss knew that uh, addiction ran in my family. Mm -hmm. He knew that there were issues in my family. And he asked me, how was I able to, you know what I'm saying, mm -hmm. and, uh, and can these guys be helped? Mm -hmm. And naturally, I said, you know what, if we, if we believe in them, I believe that we can help them. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and, he, and I brought in a, a lady by the name of Adele Smithers mm -hmm. from the Smithers, Smithers Foundation, yep. okay? Mm -hmm. And the boss fell in love with her, not, mm -hmm. not physically, mm -hmm. but uh, he, he loved Adele, mm -hmm. you know what I'm saying? And he believed in everything that she had to say. And so at that point, we started our own program. Mm -hmm. We started a program to help Dwight and, uh, and eventually Daryl. Mm -hmm. And Daryl actually got to the Yankees first because he had been suspended by the San Francisco Giants. Mm -hmm. And so in essence, but he was, he was able to sign with the Yankees in 1995. 
so the bus boss took him out because he really needed a power guy. Mm -hmm. We tried to bring uh, Dwight back in '95, but the commissioner wouldn't allow it. Mm -hmm. He, you know, he wanted him to show more, show more, mm -hmm. and so in essence, one thing led to another. The Yankees lose to the Seattle Mariners, mm -hmm. and the first call that the boss made was to me because he wanted to meet with Dwight the next day. Mm -hmm. And the next day we met with Dwight, and and the rest was history because he, he ended up pitching the no-hitter. Yep. And, you know, and the funny thing was, remember, if you remember correctly, uh, Dwight started off real bad in 96, mm -hmm. and people were saying to the boss, boss, he's done, he's through. I'm telling you, this guy don't have it anymore, and the boss wouldn't give up on him. Mm. He wouldn't give up on him, and Coney got hurt, and Dwight pitches the no-hitter. Mm. And you've you've been around since then, and really that kind of started this fatherish figure of younger players, especially the Latino players. How has that worked out from 96 to today in, in, your, in your role today with the Yankees with all the community stuff? Because that was another area, right, that George – really kind of pioneered was all the, the, the junior Yankees and Hanks Yanks, which you run, um, and all the programs that you've done to, to kind of be a community outreach person as well. My, my whole life I always wanted to use this saying because it, it always sounded cool and, and intelligent. So I'm going to use it right now in Columbia University. Mm -hmm. I fear to differ. Okay. Because in, in, the, in the 1970s, Billy Martin and Thurman Munson and, and Reggie they were so philanthropic in their own way and without fanfare or anything. They just did things to do things. Mm -hmm. And that's where my education came wow. from. Okay. Okay, because we would be driving in a car and all of a sudden I'm stopping at a hospital with Thurman Munson. I didn't know we were going there. He just felt like it. Mm -hmm. You understand? I'm with Bobby Mercer. He felt like it. Mm -hmm. Reggie Jackson here said a little boy, his whole body had gotten burnt. He had found out where the boy was staying. Remember years ago, the boy? Yep. You know, and, and so all of a sudden, like, Reggie just pulled out the, the address. He goes, you know what? I didn't even know where he was. So he's talking to himself, and I'm, I'm right here. And he goes, you know what? Let me go right now. And he goes, he pulls in, and we went to this hospital, and we saw this boy that was 90% burnt, okay? 10 years old and Reggie grabbed the little boy and said I love you mm. you understand that's Reggie mm -hmm. and people don't understand that and these were the things that these guys did this is who I learned from Bucky Dent mm -hmm. okay Mickey Rivers guys who they were so giving and you know it wasn't uh uh, what was Hope Week mm -hmm. and all this kind of stuff? Because if you mention this kind of stuff to those guys, Catfish Hunter, mm -hmm. they would say, "Excuse me, Hope Day every day." Mm -hmm. You understand? Has that has that translated to the players today that you talk to about the sense of giving back? Last week I was in an event in Washington where Omar Minaya spoke about the, the the responsibility of young Latino players to give back to their communities, uh, and he took a lot of pride in saying that the Latino players have that sense of community maybe more than other players now today? Have you oh, seen... Shit. Excuse me. I don't oh, know if you That's can, okay. We can use that sure. to podcast. Um, okay. Have you, have you seen... But did the players of today have that same responsibility? Well, number one, I, 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 number one, as an extremely, extremely proud Latino, uh, I, I'm sorry, Omar. I love Omar. He's my daughter's godfather. Mm -hmm. But no. Mm -hmm. 
what, what players did I just mention? Yep. Catfish Hunter, Bucky mm-hmm. Dent. I didn't know they were they ate fried bananas. Mm-hmm. You understand what I'm saying? No. It, 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 if you have heart and soul mm-hmm. and you care, then you do. Okay, and remember something about Billy Martin. Billy Martin had more black and Latin players on his team than any manager probably in the history of the game. Mm-hmm. But do you think the players today can understand the sense of giving back? And who are some of the players today that you work with that, that have that sense, no matter what their uh, you, you know is? what? Uh, today, it's become more of a, you, that you have to do that now. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's a, it's a part of the responsibility. Mm-hmm. You know, and uh, very, it's it's a very you know. I mean, you see that it's, mm-hmm. a, it's a thing where it's, uh, you know. So the you know the players, you know, they they get it, and plus understand that they they make a lot more money today, mm-hmm. and so in essence they can do more, you mm-hmm. know, in, in that respect. And do you you see that with some players, some players in the Yankees. Cece Sabathia's name. Cece, see, you know what? See, like a guy like Cece could have been in, in the Yankees of those days. Mm-hmm. You understand what I'm saying? Yep. Because CC is the type of guy that will just do it. Mm-hmm. So he, thank God we have a CC because he gets them riled, mm-hmm. and we got to do this and we got to do that. It always takes like two or three guys mm-hmm. to have that in their soul, because it, it is a monkey see monkey do mentality. Got it. Whereas they see this, mm-hmm. they whatever. So it's like, oh, I, you know, I have to do it. So you know, some guys, you know, that it's not that. If, if he's not in baseball, he ain't going to do it no more. Whereas other guys, they finish playing baseball, and they still continue. They still are out there doing, you know, because they understand. Mm-hmm. And a lot of it is the aspect that they understand that there is a higher power to, in essence, hey, what are you doing, mm-hmm. you know? So um, I want to talk in the time we have left about your other job, in addition to your day job working with the Yankees. You've been able to storytell and had had the foresight to be able to tell your story and the story of others around the Yankees uh, in film, in video, in print, uh, and also hosting a radio show now on ESPN Deportes in New York. Um, tell everybody a little bit about the books, the kids' books, uh, the coming um, graphic novel. Um, and how those came about. How, wh- when did you realize that you could use that from a business perspective to continue to grow your brand but also tell those amazing stories to so many other people? You know, what, what, what makes me sad is that I didn't have the true courage to do the books until I was 50. Mm-hmm. You understand? Because, you know, but again, that's probably what was supposed to be. Mm-hmm. But it, it, it actually all started in the 70s. You know, and uh, I was a big Elvis Presley fan, and uh, and I saw the people that hung around Elvis and all that kind of stuff. And so, what happened in 1977? Elvis dies August 16, 1977. Mm-hmm. I know exactly where I was, by the way. Yeah. I was standing by the ice cream truck on my block in Brooklyn. So anyway, so then August 17th of 1977, I used to like hand all of Reggie Jackson's fan mail in his apartment. So I was there doing the fan mail, and I was like real quiet. And Reggie says, "Man, you ain't said nothing. You ain't said nothing all day. What's going on? You're too quiet. What, what what's happening?" And I said, uh, "Elvis died, man." Mm-hmm. So, and I said, "Well, I was a big fan of Elvis." And he goes, "Hey, you think that I'm like the Elvis Presley of baseball, like mm-hmm. the king of swing, and you know?" 
and there's a swinger. So I said, uh-oh, I, I got a little hook here. And I go, no, why not? And I said, I mean, I said, great talents, both of you, but the one thing, whenever, whenever Elvis Presley does a movie, all his guys work in the movie. You do all these commercials, you never put me in any. <laughs> and he goes, he picks up his telephone, and he calls his agent, Matt Marola. Yep. And he goes, Matt, what's the next commercial I'm doing? Well, Reggie, you got a Volkswagen coming up in September. Make sure raising the commercial, I ain't doing it. Okay, Reggie, anything you say. Next thing you know, I'm doing a Volkswagen commercial from that, or an Old Spice commercial from that. I worked on the Reggie Bar stuff. From that, uh, some agent sees me and signs me to a movie deal with Warner Brothers. I do a movie with Andy Garcia in 1982 called uh, uh, Blue Skies Again. Mm -hmm. and, and from there, it just kept on going. I ended up doing a film with Francis Ford Coppola called The Cotton Club, Richard mm -hmm. Gere. Sure. Okay. And that's and, where you met Richard Gere for Gregory the first time? Hines, yeah. yeah. And of which we not we've had over like a thirty year relationship. I mean, close. So that segues into the your animated film, and that and that um, goes into that's where I was able to get all so those. So tell guys. tell and, and it's interesting. So the the name of the film was uh, Henry and Me. Henry and Me, and it's a story about how the Yankees, past and present, help a, a young child through a very serious illness with cancer. With cancer, and the people who are. The voices in the film included Richard Gere, Cindy Lauper, Chaz Palminteri, Danny Aiello. Yep, and then some of the and, and players were in it as well. Yeah, CC was C in it. Yep. You know, Reggie Jackson. Alex was, in, was it. in it. Then he wasn't. Alex was in it. Then he wasn't in right. it. Then he was in it. And it was Ichiro. Ichi no, 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 no. Uh, it was um, uh, Matsui. Uh, Matsui. Right. Oh, and it was Yogi Berra's last job. Mm -hmm. And, know, it, and it's know. an animated film. That really kind of tells the story, but it came off the book. Did it come off of a book that you did, or was it just the? It, it was a combination of all my right. children's books. Right. Oh, but I have to add that it was the last time that Bob Shepard would work. Wow. The last time that he would announce, ladies and now batting, number 44. And you know what was great about that was, first he couldn't do it, and then he called us and he says, I want to do this. I want to leave something behind because he knew he was going to die soon. Mm. And so we did. We actually did it on. We brought the machine and everything. Did it on his bed. Mm -hmm. Wow! Can you imagine. And you've done. So you've done that. Yankee Miracles is another book. Right. Very um, proud of you. How Yankee many Miracles. books have you done now, Ray? Six books. Six books. And well, more I, coming. I, I, honestly, and a play. Honestly speaking, I, I, I've mm -hmm. done thirty-five books, but only six have been published. Right. So far. Let me put it that right. way. Okay. And there's a graphic novel that's and coming. And the graphic correct? novel is coming out. I can't wait. It's, um, I'm very excited about that. And it's all about the life that you've had. Well, it, it's about the '70s and the personalities that you've come and, across. And the, well, so. and let me say this. Let me say this. Uh, one, one year, because I know we're, got, we're closing, mm -hmm. but one year uh, I was going through a real bad scenario with a, a, a guy that worked at the stadium. He was like, uh, he was a big boss at the stadium. And, and he didn't like the fact that Steinberg had given me this opportunity. He didn't like the fact that I had my color, per se. And so one time Steinberg was away. When he was away, this guy was like picking on me. When jo George wasn't owning the team. Well, he, George right. owned the team. Right. This was in the yeah. 70s. Okay. And so this guy, is st like I said, when, he, when Steinbrenner had gone to Cleveland, mm -hmm. so this guy just decided to mess with me. He started to F with me. You know, you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. And someone told Billy, and Billy went and whipped his ass. 
You understand? Hmm. And then that night, hmm. he took me to Patsy's. Mm-hmm. Okay, the great Italian, Italian restaurant. restaurant. Yep. And I didn't. He I, he says to me, well, "I'm taking you to dinner tonight." Okay, so I thought we we're just going to dinner. We had done that sometimes. So he takes me to Patsy's, first time there. And when we get in, he says, wait here. He goes up the staircase. And then the guy that owns the restaurant, finally, like after 10 minutes, comes down. He goes, he looks at me strange, because, you know, yeah, I had this big afro and all that stuff. And it's a different time, you know. He goes, you with Billy? And I go, yes. Come with me. He takes me upstairs. And there's Billy, but there's Frank Sinatra. There's Sammy Davis Jr., you know, and among other people. And so Sinatra goes, you Billy's boy? I said, yes. Sit over here. And he had me sit next to him. And he, he, like, Billy had told him different things, you understand? Which was, I was, like, stunned and proud. You understand? Stunned and proud. And Sinatra was telling me about the aspect of... Uh, you, 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 have to, you have to feel that you belong. You belong anywhere. You can go anywhere. You, you, nobody can tell you what to do. Nobody can tell you what not to do. You respect people. You respect people what they are. I went through this with Sammy. He called him Smokey. <laughs> you know, I went through this with Smokey back in the 40s. He didn't want to do because he, he felt that he was being spit on, and they were spitting on him. And you know what? I took a stance just like your boy over here, meaning Billy, has taken a stance for you. Okay, and I, and I know what George Steinbrenner did for you, okay? And I know that some of those players are there for you. What more do you want? Life ain't easy. Life ain't easy, okay? So, you know, stand up and you keep your head up. Mm-hmm. Then don't, don't fidget for all these bad, ugly people because they're always going to be there. Mm-hmm. They're always going to be there. And Steinbrenner always told me the same thing mm-hmm. about it's not prejudice that's going to hurt you the most. Is jealousy. He said, "There's a fine line between prejudice and jealousy, and you're gonna find out that jealousy is gonna be more hurtful than prejudice." So, last question along those lines before we get to the final two questions I wanted to ask you: um, Are those the messages that you still convey to players today when they first get to the Yankees? The same uh, has that, that doesn't seem like that's really changed over the years, which is probably a good thing about how you carry yourself as a Yankee and what you need to do. And do most players listen these days? Uh, you know what? With Steinbrenner not being there anymore, I'm not as forceful mm-hmm. uh, on myself to them as I used to be. Okay, I know that he would want me to, but I'm not because it's different management. Mm-hmm. And, and it's like, you know, different ownership. The passion and the dream that George Steinbrenner had is different from the passion and the dream that Hal has. Mm-hmm. You see, so I have to respect Hal that way and because he doesn't understand or may not understand the type of scenario and relationship that I had with the boss. Mm-hmm. For instance, whenever we got a new player, the first thing the boss would do would call me in the office and say, listen, we got a, a, a kid now by the name of Robinson Cano. Mm-hmm. St- stay on top of him. You know, work with him, mm-hmm. make him understand. Or 1995, Ray, we got this young kid by the name of Derek Jeter. Uh, take him home with you. Have him hang out with you. Have him see what you do. You understand? Mm-hmm. You know, or or back with Don Mattingly. 
Take a ride with him. I'm, we're sending him down. I want you to drive him to the airport and talk to him a little bit. Mm-hmm. You know, don't be too hard. Just talk to him a little bit. Mm-hmm. Make make him understand that I love him. Let him know that I love him. Amazing. Amazing. Um, so the last two questions that we like to ask people, Ray, are, and, and I want you to tell everybody also about the play. Um, how do you stay informed with everything that's going on, whether it's entertainment or sports or sports business? And then how do people find you, uh, whether it's on social or some of the shows that you're doing? So first, and, and, and the advice, by the way, I forgot about that, and the advice that you would give young people, which you've kind of touched on. So how do you stay informed? What's the advice and how do people find you? Well, number one, the advice that I give to people is uh, uh, my biggest thing. Whenever I go speak at schools around the country, I say, uh, 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 if you believe in forever, then life is just a one-night stand. Hmm. You hear what I'm saying? Bottom line, because it goes so fast. Mm -hmm. So it's better to, you know, instead of complaining about and I still complain about how fast time is going mm-hmm. because I got too much to do still. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? I still want to win an Academy Award. You know what I mean? And uh, hey, one year, my, my first book comes out, The Boy of Steel, and, and, and it was in the International Latino Book Fair. Okay, Gloria Estefan did her first children's book. Big seller, mine was a big seller. We went to the to the the it was like the Academy Awards of uh, of children's books, and I said I ain't winning. You know what he called, and I was embarrassed and everything else. And I go, and I leave the room and all that. And next thing you know, they're saying, "Ray, you won, you beat Gloria Estefan," you know. And I was uh, like one of the biggest thrills ever. And so in essence, it just shows me, man, I didn't I didn't get to enjoy it, mm-hmm. you know, because of my stupidity or whatever you want to call it humility more than stupidity you know yeah so it's it's just it is what it is and then how do you stay up to date with everything like you I you know I watch TV I pick up the telephone I go into the like the kids and I check out uh, what's this and that and you know and I watch the uh, the show on yes uh, the Forbes Business mm-hmm. uh, Report. Yep. Shout out for Michael Zanian. You, like that. right? so, you know, that's good. You know, I watch that, and, and, I, and I like to pick up the newspapers, and, and I go to my favorite restaurant every morning, and, and, and just because they get the papers, I can't afford to buy the papers anymore. <laughs> you know, so I read their papers while I have my eggs, mm-hmm. you know, and just, just stay, stay attuned with that, and I make a million and one phone calls, and 10,000 texts, thank God that we have unlimited texting, mm-hmm. you know, and... and and Steve uh, uh, Vaccaro, who's my producer in my plays, is, uh, you know, he, he's like the nosiest guy I know, so he'll tell me everything that's going Steve's on. Steve's sitting in the room, by the way, yeah. just so everybody knows. You know, so, yeah. see, see, so I'm, I'm not doing behind his back, ladies and gentlemen. Okay, mm-hmm. so. And, and then um, how do people find you, Ray? Are you on social um, media? Yeah. What's the website that people should look at, especially for the play that you have, which you've done once now and are going to bring back? Steve, do we have a website for the play? Uh, Just Batboyhelps.com. Yeah, Batboyhelps.com. And are you on Twitter? Are you on Uh, Twitter? I'm not on Twitter because I don't know how how that works. I'm going to have to have... Steve Instagram, me. Instagram. I'm on Instagram and Facebook. And it's on, your account on Instagram is Ray Negron. Yes, R A Y N E G R O N. Everybody can follow him. Uh, you know, we've had a lot of people on, and uh, Tom Cerny's looking at me, kind of nodding his head. 
Um, you know, I don't think anybody's kind of had as unique a story as you have, Ray, and we're certainly blessed to have you in our presence in the land of Lou Gehrig in the Upper oh West Side. Oh, so. dude, I'm thrilled. Yeah. Uh, I, I look, the hairs are coming right through my shirt. Yep. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I, I'm excited. And he has four championship rings, one of which he has on today. Oh, and, so. and let me say that I have four incredible kids, two, yep. two are police officers, one use, one actually left the Toronto Blue Jays organization to become a police officer. Yep. Okay, so we're, like I said, we're very proud of our country. We're very proud of being American. Uh, you know, like, I, I, my, my, my daughter got me this thing for your, to find out your nationalities, mm -hmm. or I forgot what you called it. 23andMe? Yeah. Or, or yeah. Ancestry.com. Yeah, yeah. The, the, that stuff. And, yeah. you know, and I start my play by pulling out the sheet, and it says, according to, the, to my, what do you call it, uh, um, this percent black, this percent Hispanic, this percent Dominican, this percent Puerto Rican, this percent Chinese, this percent Jewish, you know what I'm saying? And and and, at the, and I say, and at the end of the day, you know what? I tear it up and I throw it on the ground. I said, look, I'm an American first. Mm -hmm. And that's it. I was born here. I was born in America, and I'm proud to be an American. I don't care about anything else. People talk about the pride of the Yankees. I don't know if there's anybody more prideful about a career with the New York Yankees that started by spray painting on a wall than Ray Negron. Ray, thanks for joining us. Thank you, brother, and, and thank you for that because I am very proud of being a Yankee. Mm -hmm. Once again, this has been the Columbia University Sports Podcast. I'm Joe Favorito with our guest, Ray Negron, special advisor of the Yankees, who does a lot more things, including being an author, um, a special advisor to the players, kind of jack about town for everything, and that one of the people who really started at 14 years old spray painting something on the walls of New York of Yankee Stadium and has become a success with a career only in pinstripes. Ray, thanks for joining Thank us. Thank you, brother. This is Joe Favorito. Thanks again for listening. For my co-host Tom Richardson and we'll see you down the line. <laughs>